Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you? I'm good, Wayne. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So let's get right into it, starting with what has become a regular feature of the podcast, which is your general assessment of where things stand today, halfway through September, yep. and on the cusp of autumn. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's an old line by Yogi Berra that uh, predictions are hard, particularly about the future. Um, but I'm <laughs> going to make one, which is... I think we as a country have peaked in our infection numbers. Uh, You know, we had this very dramatic rise in cases all through the summer. And I think in the last couple of weeks, it really looks like we've peaked. And let me say why. But let me also not overstate it. Um, The infection numbers in the South really have started coming down. Um, When I look out to California, it's stabilized and coming down. New York is coming down. The Midwest and the Great Plains, I still worry about. I think that I can see infection numbers rising here in New England. uh, Infection numbers seem to have pretty much flattened over the last week to 10 days. We've got the fall coming, so still plenty of challenges. But nationally, I think, you know, we have flattened and are coming down. And the question, of course, is um, how quickly? Because we still have enormous numbers of people getting infected, 140, 150,000 Americans getting infected, down from 170,000, but still high. And that's and per day. That's per day. Yeah. That's per day. Right. Um, and we've got to drive those numbers down because that's a lot of people getting infected, a lot of people getting hospitalized, 15, 1,600 deaths. So I, I don't mean to paint a rosy picture of sunny days are here again and everything is great. We have lots of challenges, especially as we look to the fall. But I think the peak of this wave has crested, and now we've got to figure out how to get it down quickly. So uh, you mentioned autumn, and we've had a lot of questions regarding large indoor gatherings looking toward October and November and thinking uh, events like concerts, indoor concerts, where you have hundreds or even more people together, conferences that draw hundreds or more people, academic conferences, business conferences. What What is your guidance on those events? Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, one of the things I've been trying to bring up to people is that those things feel risky to a lot of people. And I understand that. And um, But if you're not going to do it now, if you're not going to do it this fall, are you going to do it over the winter? You do it next spring. What do you expect to change in the next six, 12 months? Or are you just going to wait for a very, very long time? And I raise this because I think we now have the tools to do all of those things. I think we have the tools to do concerts, indoor concerts and conferences, but they're complicated. And while infection numbers are high, you've got to work harder to make those events safe. Number one is if I were asked to run an indoor conference, for let's say two days, an academic conference. The first thing I would do is do a vaccine mandate. Sorry, you can't come and spend two days indoors with a lot of people if you're not vaccinated. Second, I would add some rapid testing on top of that, antigen testing, 
Um, they're cheap. They're relatively easy. And I'd get everybody tested when upon arrival. I don't think once you've done that, that you need indoor masking. There are people who are going to be more comfortable doing indoor masking. You could require it. And of course, that would, that would then really seal the deal of making it extraordinarily safe. And then I would just look at the venue and think about, are there things I can do to improve air quality and ventilation? But I would really begin with vaccinations and testing. And if you do those two things really well, you can do it safely. And then again, the masking just becomes one more add-on. Easier said than done in many things you can, but if you want to have food, you want to have people you know, spending time, masking is not always going to be completely uh, realistic. So uh, going to the micro level, what about your advice for smaller indoor venues and I'm thinking stores, restaurants, health clubs, and gyms, the, the health club I go to, um, a lot of people don't mask. I have started to, but anyway, it's not about yeah. me. What, what's your advice? Yes, I will tell you my own personal kind of risk tolerance. I'm you know, relatively healthy, thank goodness, and I'm not a high-risk person, obviously fully vaccinated. I have a kid at home who's not vaccinated because he's nine, um, but that doesn't scare me too much. But basically, my mental model is indoor things, with other vaccinated people, I do pretty comfortably. Indoor things where there are a lot of unvaccinated people, I don't like it. And if I'm gonna spend indoor time with, uh, with unvaccinated people, I'm gonna wear a mask and I'm gonna hope that they wear a mask. So um, if you're a restaurant, I haven't been to indoor dining since June. I, I did indoor dining in May, June, then I stopped. And I don't plan to do indoor dining unless restaurants start requiring vaccinations. If there's a restaurant that says we only serve vaccinated people, sign me up. I will be the first person showing up at that restaurant if I can get a reservation. Um, gyms, I think, should require vaccinations. And if not, everybody should be masked up. But unmasked, unvaccinated people spending time together, it's a very bad idea right now. So in our last podcast, which was at the end of August, uh, you outlined the four items necessary for schools to safely reopen. I'll just recap those. Yep. Vaccination of everyone who is eligible, proper ventilation and related measures in buildings, regular testing, and mask wearing. So here we are halfway through September. Schools in most places have reopened. Yep. What, uh, what do you see looking out there now halfway through September in the K-12 group? Yeah. Exactly a bit of like more or less what we expected, right? So we're seeing large outbreaks in a lot of schools that are choosing not to do those four things, uh, seeing a lot of kids get infected and unfortunately a lot of kids getting sick in states that have blocked vac uh, mask mandates where vaccination rates are low. You know, if kids are not masking up indoors and if uh, there are a lot of adults who are not vaccinated around them, that's a recipe for uh, outbreaks among kids and it doesn't stay in kids. It, it, it spreads. So we're seeing that. We're also seeing places like San Francisco, highly vaccinated, indoor masking, no outbreaks. It's almost like we know the signs of this virus at this point. We do. And when people follow it, 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 it schools are back open safely and, and they're not seeing big outbreaks. And when people flout it, it's not political. The virus doesn't care what your politics are. The virus does what it does. And it, and the virus is spreading among kids in places that are not following the, the basic guidance. So let's look at the colleges and universities. Uh, we had a question. Should they be testing vaccinated and asymptomatic students? Is that a good policy? It's a very good question. We are doing it at Brown. And I have, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. 
on one hand, it adds an additional level of safety. And I understand that. Um, the problem is you don't know what to do with it. Asymptomatic people who have a little bit of virus in their nose, it's not even clear that they're infected, but they will turn positive. And it's not clear that they can spread, but they'll turn positive. So there is a real problem and there's a reason why the CDC says no. A lot of universities are doing it. Brown is doing it. I understand why Brown is doing it. They're doing it because they want to add that extra layer, layer of security and, and reassure people that we're, we're capturing people who are positive. Uh, but I think scientifically, it's very um, it's not a it's not a no brainer one way or the other that the reasonable people who disagree on the science. Behind this. So Pfizer and Moderna boosters are coming. What uh, what is the latest that you know about that? Yeah, both Pfizer and Moderna have submitted data to the FDA. Uh, the FDA is reviewing it. Uh, my expectation is that in the next week. Uh, maybe even by later this week, uh, we're going to have an FDA panel uh, go through the data publicly with the American people and walk through the, the data. And I expect uh, I expect recommendations. And my best guess, that's always tough to guess these things because, you know, the FDA panel is going to do what it does. And uh, they're looking at data that I don't have access to, uh, but we all will in the next week. And my best guess is they're going to recommend boosters for high risk people. What do I mean? people who are over 65, people who have chronic diseases, certainly frail elders. Um, and my guess is they're not going to recommend boosters for young, healthy people, uh, largely because it's really not clear that they need it at all. And that is what I'm guessing. But of course, we don't know where the FDA panel will come down. And I, I don't uh, presume to know with any certainty. So what about a booster for the J&J &J shot? I've been hearing from a lot of you know, friends and colleagues who got the J&J, &J, which the one shot is less effective than the Pfizer and Moderna two shots. They're really concerned. They're, they're anxious. Yeah, yeah, they're anxious. Yep. Absolutely. And I get it. And I get it. And I feel like I was a promoter of the J&J &J vaccine, still believe it was a it is a fabulous vaccine and now feel some sense of responsibility for what guidance to give people. Um, I wish we had more data. Uh, I am confident based on the data we have now that people who've gotten the J&J &J vaccine will need an additional shot of something. Is it, an, is it a Moderna or Pfizer on one hand, or is it a second shot of J&J? &J? We don't know. I wish we had more data on this, and I wish the FDA was giving more guidance on this. Um, you know, I think if you're a high risk person, again, I'm hoping in the next week, even if the FDA just gives guidance on Moderna Pfizer, uh, people can use that as a way to uh, also act if they get J&J. &J. But I think it's just saying to people on J&J, &J, you're on your own, wait, and, and not giving them any sense of timeline for when they'll have answers is irresponsible. So my hope is that when the FDA meets within the next week, FDA advisory committee meets in the next week, they address the J&J &J issue. If not, uh, I'm happy to tell you where I think the data is. I think people are going to need an extra shot, but I'd rather have the FDA who has more data uh, make some recommendations. So two more questions. Um, what are your thoughts on President Biden's declaration last week that companies with more than 100 employees will need to require vaccinations or weekly testing? Yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, here's why. Um, first and foremost, I am ready to put this pandemic behind us. I don't know if anybody else is feeling like they'd like to do that. <laughs> I think like um, the whole world. <laughs> and, um, and certainly we can get it under control in the United States if a lot more people get vaccinated. What President Biden did, which I think is very reasonable, uh, 
is basically say, look, the federal government sets safety standards all the time for workplaces. You know, you can't go around into a workplace like I can't smoke in my workplace. Now, I don't know if that's a federal thing or a state thing, but there are federal laws. OSHA is, is an agency that exists uh, and they exist to create safe workspaces. I've already said, I do not think it is a safe workspace for unvaccinated people walking around, infecting other unvaccinated people in an office space. So if you're a workplace, a large employer going to bring people back and you want to create a safe workspace, you have two choices. Get everybody vaccinated or do weekly testing of people who are not vaccinated. Um, I think that's a very reasonable set of regulations, certainly backed by the science. And it makes sense to me that the federal government is going to require that as a safety measure. So the final question, we were talking before we went on air um, about the end game. That was the term that you use. The end game, meaning when does it end? Does it end? What happens after? Are we going to have to live with COVID the way we do with flu? Give, give, yeah. give, us, a, give us your thoughts on the end game. Yeah. And we're not anywhere near the end game at this point. We still have a lot of work to do. Um, but the bottom line is this, um, Wayne, you know, if you think about um, the tools necessary to bring this pandemic to an end, we have them all. There are no new tools coming. There's nothing. You know, I used to say last year that you got to sort of hold on. I don't know if I said this to you before, that you got to hold on until the cavalry arrives. And the cavalry was the vaccines. Well, the cavalry's arrived. The vaccines are here. There is nothing in the horizon that's going to be a game changer for this pandemic. So we now have to implement them and think about what long term looks like. Um, we are going to live with this virus. We're not going to eradicate it. Now, hopefully we can suppress it to very, very low levels. You know, the 1918 flu pandemic was caused by this H1N1 influenza. That virus still is around, just doesn't cause much illness anymore. Um, so I would not be around, a bit surprised if SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, is around forever. Um, my hope is at very, very low levels. My hope is that most of us have natural, uh, have immunity, either from vaccines or from infections, and that the infection levels are very low. And then we do some things for a while to keep infection levels low, like have regular widespread testing and, and improve indoor air quality. And occasionally, if there's an outbreak, put on masks. But my sense is the things that we value in our lives, the indoor sports, the dining, the, all of that is going to become possible as more and more people build up immunity. And, um, and, and, my, and the other thing, of course, that will help speed up all of this endgame is if we get better treatments, which will also make it less serious. I think 2022 is going to be a much, much better year for all of this. I had hoped we'd be there by this summer to fall. I think the combination of Delta and so many people unvaccinated uh, has really left us in much worse shape. But we're going to get through this and we will get back to a, a normal that people will value and, and appreciate and love. And, uh, and we will not have this. The virus will be around, but it will not dominate our lives. Thank you, Ashish. We'll be talking to you again soon. Have a good day. Thank you, Wayne. It was a pleasure and I look forward to our next conversation. Same here.